0: Park United Methodist in Tampa, Florida, this is The Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. Today's episode features a conversation with Rabbi Richard Bernholtz, Rabbi Emeritus at Congregation Shahar Zedek in Tampa, Florida. Rabbi Bernholtz joined us back in February on Episode 7 for a discussion of Numbers and Deuteronomy. Rabbi Bernholtz was ordained in 1971 and served numerous synagogues before coming to Congregation Shahara Zedek in 1986. He retired in 2018 and has been Rabbi Emeritus since then. On this episode, Rabbi Bernholtz, Celia Furman, and I discuss the Book of Jeremiah and how the lessons of Jeremiah inform ancient and modern Jewish communities. Rabbi Bernholtz suggests that Jeremiah's political shrewdness preserved the Jewish people and provided a model for modern-day Jewish communities living in the diaspora, that is, the Jewish community outside of Israel. Celia begins the episode with a summary of Jeremiah, followed by our interview.
1: book of Jeremiah is the second longest of the prophetic books. It contains a considerable amount of biography and history in addition to Jeremiah's words of prophecy. It's a collection of writings, including oracles, addresses, prayers, as well as exhortations. These are arranged without any reference to either topic or chronology. This week's readings are chapters 21 through 52. In chapters 21 through 28, Jeremiah advises King Zedekiah to yield to Babylon, warning of the destruction that was going to be poured out on Judah. He tells of God's anger resulting from their continuing worship of idols, false gods, and burnt sacrifices. and By putting on the yoke of an oxen, he demonstrated the visual image of submission to avoid destruction. Even as he prophesied the fall of Jerusalem and the coming captivity, he offered also encouragement. Chapter 29 through 38, there's the exhortation given to the people to start families, build houses, plant gardens, seek the welfare of the cities, and pray for the Lord, to the Lord on behalf of their captors. His words are of a new covenant. God would deliver them after captivity. Closely associated with this new covenant was his teaching for the Jewish people of personal responsibility. Jeremiah is so confident in their future, he buys land in Judah. Chapters 39 through 52, the reality of the prophecy is recorded. The fall of Jerusalem, the burning of the temple, the destruction of the city walls, and the final carrying off of the people to Babylon. King Zedekiah and his family are blinded and slaughtered, as Jeremiah had foretold. In chapter 50, God promises to rescue his nation from captivity, that Babylon will be destroyed and Judah redeemed. Oh, Rabbi, so good to have you with us again. Thank you for sharing, once again, your knowledge of Hebrew scriptures. We so appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank
2: you. It's my pleasure.
1: Why do you suppose there were such wicked kings during this period of biblical history? I don't know
2: that the kings were necessarily wicked. I think they were simply the opponents of God. God, you remember history in the Bible, the Torah is written through the words of those who speak on behalf of God. And so if a particular king was not in favor of the laws which God gave and had a religion that perhaps didn't value human beings or human life or dignity, then that king was seen as a wicked king. Remember, the Israelites were, the Judeans were God's favorite special people. So any king who led a nation that in any way was uh, opposed to the Judeans or fought the Judeans or wanted to exterminate the Jews, then that king was seen as an evil king.
1: But, also, you know, Rabbi, uh, they, excuse me, but it bothers me because so many of these were in the line of David, mm. so they they knew the right thing, and then they went off in other directions.
2: Well, uh, we have uh, a Republican president today who is in the line of Republican presidents, and like other Republican presidents, has gone in one direction as Former other Republican presidents have done a different direction. So there is no such thing as a line of David in terms of ideology. You also have a situation where the geopolitical situation in the world changes. And so the, the political and theological thought has to change with it.
1: Why did the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar go to such lengths to protect Jeremiah?
2: because Jeremiah was on Nebuchadnezzar's payroll. You'll recall throughout Jeremiah that he consistently tells the Israelites they need to stop fighting Babylonia and to go along with what the Babylonians want, which is certainly counterintuitive and against what the different Judean kings were preaching, which is why Jeremiah got in trouble, got arrested, was put on house arrest, tried for treason. All of this happens during the book of Jeremiah. And the reason uh, is that he was on the payroll of the Babylonians, and it was his job to see to it that the Israelites, the Jews, eventually uh, would give up, leave Uh, Jerusalem and go into exile in Babylonia.
1: Is that why he asked them and told them to go in and build houses and plant gardens and intermarry once they got to Babylonia?
2: Exactly. Hmm. Now, why the question then comes up why would Jeremiah be such a traitor? And this is the major theological story of the Book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, because he had correspondence with prophets like Ezekiel, who were already in exile in Babylonia. Remember, the first exile took place in 598 BCE. So as a result, there were Jews already living in exile. And what Jeremiah learned is the Jews were living a very happy life. They had two chariots in every garage, two chickens in every... (laughs) The Babylonians had an enlightened method of dealing with captive people. They were only afraid if those captives lived on their native land, because then the Babylonians felt it would lead to revolt. But the Babylonians also knew that if you removed them from the land and brought them to Babylonia, but gave them freedom of religion freedom of political enterprise, and most of all, economic freedom in Babylonia, they would give up the idea of revolt. They would become good Babylonians and perhaps ultimately take on the Babylonian religion. Huh. It was a very, and best of all, they would pay taxes because they had freedom of economy. And so looking at the Forces The military forces of the Babylonians, Jeremiah, realized very early on back in Jerusalem that there was no way that the Judeans could beat them. And if they tried, that the Judeans and the Jewish people would be destroyed and would leave the scene of the world forever. He, therefore, saw and understood that God was greater than just the land of Israel that God was with God's people wherever we are and that we could be a people without having to live on the land of Israel. It was a blueprint for Jewish survival for all these thousands of years since.
1: Now, all of this insight into Jeremiah, did you get that just from Hebrew scripture or is some of this from Midrash?
2: none from Midrash, all from just right from the book itself, from scripture. If you look in there, it's all in there. Remember, the Babylonians leave, leave King Zedekiah living in Jerusalem. Three times, Zedekiah calls Jeremiah, who the Babylonians, by the way, have still left behind, even though they carried off all the other leaders. And he says, Zedekiah, Tell me what God wants to do. What he's really asking is, can you make a deal for me with the Babylonians? Mm. And Jeremiah keeps saying no, because Jeremiah understands you can't beat the Babylonians. If you live with them, there's a good chance that Judaism will survive in an atmosphere of freedom, just as Judaism does today in America, which is not a Jewish country.
1: How is he regarded by the Jews today?
2: Uh, They don't look at the political aspects of it, um, but he is regarded as very important because he helped bring along the divine concept of a God who not only takes care of the Jewish people on the land of Israel, but also takes care of us wherever we are, And it's a God who has power over all peoples in the world. And Isaiah builds on that. So it's a very important concept of the transition from Yahweh as the God of the Jews to Yahweh as the God of all peoples in the world.
1: What do you think is the message for us today from Jeremiah? I think the
2: message is that wherever you live, The most important thing about life is keeping alive the principles that are taught to us by God, and that keeping those principles alive means keeping your faith alive and the practices of your religion, because as you practice your religion, the holidays, the rites, the rituals, you keep the community together and alive. And it's that community which is the vehicle for transmitting from generation to generation all of the theological and ethical and moral ideas that God teaches. And mm-hmm. Jeremiah did that. He did it beautifully, albeit in a completely unconventional way by appearing to and actually working for the enemy of the Jews on behalf of the Jews.
1: Was this a unique thing? Were any of the other prophets engaged in that sort of relationship?
2: No, it was totally unique. It was brilliant that he realized that because, as I said at the outset, we wouldn't be here today as Jews because we probably would have fought Babylonia, been destroyed, and disappeared. Babylonia, meanwhile, has disappeared, and we're still here, because with God's help, Jeremiah was a visionary. He he realized that that which was totally counter to what God was teaching before, which is you must take care of the land, the land is the essence of your being, that we could remain a people by believing that one day we could return to the land even if we weren't on it in that moment. Remember how he buys, Jeremiah buys the field and says in two years? I'll be back. I'll be back. That's the way that he teaches that we can keep the land is reality by making a virtual reality of it instead of a physical reality. And again, that that has kept us alive. For, um, let's see, at this point, two and a half thousand years, we had no land.
1: I was thinking during this time of COVID where we're doing everything online, we have that promise that we'll get back into our sanctuaries and back into our synagogues at some point. Right. But we have to keep, keep worshiping and keep, keep the faith, so to speak. So we're kind of not too different from what the Jews were experiencing in exile.
2: Exactly. Or to use a different analogy, uh, what the Jews were in exile with the dream of returning is what Zoom is today. Zoom (laughs) is together virtually even though we're not in the physical space.
0: Right, right.
2: We have the theology of Zoom. Let me add to that, if I may. The Jews living in Babylonian exile had it so good that when Cyrus of Persia conquered uh, Babylonia and said to the Jews, you can now return to your land, most of them, the great majority, didn't want to go back. Mm-hmm. And it took Ezra and Nehemiah almost a 100 years to finally <laughs> put back together and build some sort of of a temple in Jerusalem. And the big challenge facing Ezekiel and those who came after, the huge challenge for them was keeping the Jews faithful to Judaism and not giving in and surrendering to assimilation. Because much like in America today where non-Orthodox Jews are assimilating, assimilating into the Christian Uh, culture, that's what was happening there. And Nehemiah and Ezra particularly have to say to those Jews who did come back to Jerusalem, you need to put aside your foreign wives because they had intermarried.
0: Random question: Why, why the order of the prophets as they are in the Nevi'im of your of your Jewish scriptures? I mean, I know it starts with the the latter prophets of uh, you know Joshua through Kings, but why why Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel? Why why do they go in that order? And then the minor, and then the the twelve.
2: More than likely, and I don't know for sure. My guess is, and it's just a guess that this is the order in which Jewish history unfolded. Remember, you have Jeremiah is, remains back in Jerusalem. Ezekiel goes on into, um, into exile. Uh, so you get it from his point of view, and Isaiah builds on that afterwards. Okay. And Ezekiel, remember, I think it's chapters 40 to 48, but it's from memory. He rebuilds in his mind's eye what the temple looked like. In other words, he sees flying back to Jerusalem Hmm. and going back into the temple. And he can see the sacrifices because he has to create a virtual reality in the mind's eye of the people who never, even the exiles, who've never seen it, to, to sell them on the idea of how magnificent and divine an experience it is. I mean, they're all selling what no longer exists.
0: Right, okay.
2: It's a genius. And Isaiah, you know, goes beyond. And remember, also with your prophets, yes, they were prophets. But Jeremiah comes from a uh, priestly family. Ezekiel comes from a priest, Isaiah. Mm. This was the priesthood kept alive in Babylonia.
0: A priesthood kept alive without a temple.
2: Exactly.
0: Yeah.
2: Priesthood kept alive without a temple in Babylonian exile. And guess, and also the political was kept alive. Remember, Jehoiakim, who was taken in the exile in mm-hmm. 598, is in exile, but he gets to eat at the table of the king of Babylon. Um, So the Babylonians wanted to keep not only the religious and the priestly line together, they wanted the political entity together. A happy Jewish people are happy taxpayers who will not revolt.
0: Follow (laughs) the money.
2: And and also, remember, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. All are the sons of Josiah, who Mm -hmm. was the major figure as a king in Judah at that time.
1: Yeah, and Josiah
2: was one who kept the rules and regulations. Exactly, which he found under the temple porch, right? Mm Underneath. Yeah, wasn't that a convenient discovery? And as we got bounced around from country to country, that blueprint that mindset that we could remain a people united even without a physical piece of land was a treasure that is beyond description and words if we had had to defend a piece of land i doubt we would be here today it's that we have the freedom to put our God, so to speak, in our saddlebags and keep them with us, so to speak, that we were able to do that, that enabled us to go from opportunity to opportunity while escaping danger from danger. And that's how we ended up here today. And that Jeremiah taught us, that's okay with God. That was a major paradigm shift in theology for the Jewish community.
1: Do you think the Jewish community still holds that view? Or is it that we need to be back in Jerusalem holding on to it?
2: The answer is yes to both. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It depends which part of the Jewish community we talk to. If you live in Israel, if you're an Israeli, my guess is that the emphasis on living on the land of Israel in Israel. If you are outside, if you're in the diaspora, as American Jews are, we believe that both are important. And throughout history, that has really, I believe, come to be true. Because today, modern Israel feeds culturally and religiously into the American Jewish and European Jewish, South American, Australian Jewish communities, by giving us a back a Hebrew heritage through music, through art, through word, through theology, that we were beginning to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, our language had become Yiddish, not Hebrew.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
2: the laws of modern Israel, Hebrew has come back as a Jewish language again. So... From a historical and theological standpoint, we desperately need both.
1: What is the difference between Yiddish and Hebrew?
2: Yiddish it uses Hebrew letters, um, but it uses letters for vowels, whereas Hebrew uses dots and some letters for vowels. And the main difference is is that Yiddish is based on Hebrew, however. It also is an amalgam of Hebrew and the country in which the Jew lives. For example, Hebrew in Czechoslovakia, Hebrew in Russian, Hebrew and German. But it was mostly Hebrew and Polish. But it became almost like a English, mm-hmm. um, but it became a language of its own uh, that was spoken throughout first Eastern Europe and then Eastern and Western Europe.
1: Yeah, I have one other question. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Was he sad all the time? Was he just grieved for the situation? Why do we call him that?
2: Well, because he is so pained by seeing what's happening to his people and realizing that the only only way we will survive is by going into exile, and for him this is very very difficult. In addition, remember, the the Jews don't like hearing his prophecy. He keeps saying to them, you're going to get carried off into exile, and they get so upset that they first arrest him for treason and put him in stocks, and then he's released, and then later, remember, they drop him into a cesspool, and it's only at the very last minute that he's rescued. So he wasn't popular, he was constantly hounded. And for him, this was very, very difficult um, and very painful. And the amazing thing is that he had such a message of hope coming out of it. Mm-hmm. Namely, we will survive. We will come back. Much like MacArthur said, I shall return. <laughs> And you know what?
0: We have. Thanks for joining us. And particular thanks to Rabbi Bernholtz for offering us his wisdom and perspective again. I found the Jewish perspective on Jeremiah particularly helpful in understanding more of the mindset of the modern Jewish people. Imagine the disconnectedness we've felt from our worship spaces over the last five months and extend that out through the centuries. Of course, innovative and creative people would start figuring out ways to keep God in our saddlebag. The Jewish community has done that by and large through the practice of synagogues and community outreach. And for our Methodist listeners, that language of God in our saddlebags should perk your ears up. Our denomination was birthed by circuit riders who traveled the countryside bringing God to the people. So maybe in this pandemic, it's a calling for us to return to our roots, albeit in a digital way. We're still worshiping online Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. You can join us on Facebook or at hydeparkumc.org forward slash live. You can also connect with us on Facebook. Search for The Bible Project 2020 and request to join. See you firm and produce this episode. I'm Matt Hotho. See you next week.